morning. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful for another day, another opportunity to be here, to be praising you, to be able to say your name is higher than the rising sun, that you are great and you are above all other names. What a privilege it is to worship you, God. And we thank you for the opportunity to grow and to learn and to be transformed and to be people who are fully devoted disciples of you. And we ask that as we uh, look into your scriptures and we uh, seek uh, your way that you would open our hearts and our minds and, and change us to be the men and women and people that you created us to be. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. Well, I'm really excited to be here this morning and I'm particularly excited because I get the privilege of closing out this series that we've been doing called Wholehearted. And this issue or this idea of wholeheartedness has been like central in my life over the last three years. So uh, for me to be able to talk about it and to uh, sort of bring, bring it full circle for us is, is a, great, it's a great honor. In fact, it's been so important to me that uh, it became the topic of my most recent tattoo, which I, I will be happy to share, share with you right there. You can tell that's not photoshopped. Because you can see the wrinkles starting to form around that tattoo, which my husband reminds me all the time that when I'm 80, I won't be able to even read it. <laughs> this weekend, I want to kind of close things out by talking about another aspect of what it means to be people who are wholehearted. And that aspect is this, that for us to be wholehearted, we have to let go of who we think we should be and become who we truly are. Now, let's just step back a few weeks and kind of go back to the first week of the series because when Brad started us off in this series, he started us in exactly the right place. He started us off with God because for us, it all begins with God and it all ends with God. And what he told us was that it is God who is the one who gives us our worth. God is the one who defines what it means to be loved and to, to belong. That simply because God made us and because we're here and we're alive and we're breathing, we're enough. But we also found out that there is uh, something that can get in the way of us living out of that place, of believing that we're worthy of belonging and love, and that thing is shame. And we've defined shame as that intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we're flawed and therefore we're unworthy of love and belonging. Now, for us, it's not the flaws per se that are the problem because we know we're flawed. It's really the response to the flaws that trips us up from living wholeheartedly. Uh, because when we see our flaws and we experience our flaws and we're afraid that we're not enough, we, we run into that place of shame. And one of the ways that we try and manage our shame, I think, is we try and control things. Does anybody here struggle with control? I'm just going to raise my hand first because that's an issue for me. And, and when we feel like we're not enough, one of the ways we try and control things is we try and control our, our image, how we present ourselves to God and the world around us. I call this managing the narrative. 
when we don't feel like we're enough, we oftentimes think, what will it take for me to be enough? And we sort of, in our mind, or maybe from what we hear around us, create this idea of, if I'm this person, if I present myself this way to God and to the world around me, then I'll be worthy of love and belonging. And it takes all different kinds of forms. In fact, usually it's not just one thing. We kind of, you know, uh, make a cocktail of things. So, for example, we could say, I'm going to be the super Christian. And I'm going to present myself that way to people so that when they see me, I'm always going to be talking about how I'm in the scripture and I love prayer and I know God is faithful all the time and I never doubt. Or maybe we're going to present to people that we're that uh, perfectly patient parent. See, everyone who's laughing is a parent right there because we know. Right? So we, we, we present ourselves to the world saying, oh, you know, those children over there that are misbehaving, those are not my children. And we only talk to our children at this level of tone of voice when we're speaking to them all the time. We never talk to them like this. <laughs> or maybe you're not a parent. Maybe you're a kid. And all around you, everybody's saying, you know what? For you to be worthy of love and belonging, you need to be like this amazing kid. You need to like be a straight A student. And you need to have uh, several sports you're really good at. And, and it would be really helpful if you spoke a different language and you played an instrument. <laughs> so you're, you're hustling. Okay, man, I got to get that all together. I'm going to be that kid. Uh, maybe you're that person that kind of goes, you know, I'm going to present to to the world, to God, that, just kind of that image of that sort of cool, detached person, like, that's awesome, you're doing hand motions. Good for you. Uh, whatever it might be, and it might be lots of other things, what we do is we try and manage our image so that we'll feel worthy and acceptable. Control is a funny thing because while we think by controlling things, we're actually managing the situation, what's happening is we're completely losing control of the situation. Uh, Control lures us into thinking that we're safe when in fact we're at risk. It tells us, oh no, you'll be worthy and acceptable if you take care and you manage and you manipulate. But really what happens is we lose our sense of self. I mean, think about the kind of energy that goes into trying to manage the narrative. I mean, constantly we're fixing, we're posing, we're correcting, we're worrying. What do they think? Will I be good enough? It's exhausting. Uh, If you don't already know this, let me let you in on a secret. Control is a demanding mistress. Never gets enough of us. It keeps asking for more. And we keep scrambling, hustling to try and manage things. And in the process of that, we lose the opportunity to be who we are, who God created us to be, and experience joy and celebration in life. Brene Brown, who wrote this book, The Gifts of Imperfection, she's kind of been our sojourner through this series, puts it this way. I think she does it so well. She says, when we spend our lives waiting until we're perfect or bulletproof, before we walk into the arena, we ultimately sacrifice relationships and opportunities that may not be recoverable. We squander our precious time and we turn our backs on our gifts, those unique contributions that only we can make. Perfect and bulletproof are seductive, but they don't exist 
in the human experience. I don't think any of us um, sets out to be perfect and bulletproof from the get-go. I think perfect and bulletproof kind of sneak up on us. They kind of weasel their way into our narrative. And when we're starting to feel insecure and when we're fearful that we'll be excluded and on the outside and we're not worthy of love, that perfect and bulletproof starts to squat on our God-given property, which is our hearts and our souls. I don't think any of us purposely say, I think I'll be controlling and then I'll, I'll live out of a place of trying to manage and be exhausted and actually end up in self-hatred and disconnection. I don't think any of us want that, but I think that's what often happens when we're fiercely trying to control things. So I think for us to be wholehearted, the first thing we need to be able to at least recognize and then hopefully act on is to decide within ourselves, what is that narrative I've created? What's the narrative that I've taken on that I'm trying to present to everybody else that says, I'm good, I'm enough, I'm worthy? We have to identify it. Those things I mentioned earlier, things like wanting to be um, faithful in our walk with Christ, or be a good parent, or if you're a student or you know, a, a kid trying to grow up and be all the... Those are not bad things in and of themselves. Let me be clear on that. Those are great Goals, But when those goals become so all-consuming that we think they identify us, that we think when I get there, then I'll be enough, that's where they become dangerous. That's where that false narrative, or what I I like to call the false self, uh, really begins to choke us and kill us. I, I don't know what your false narrative is, but I do know what mine is. Uh... I got a lot of shame from a lot of different places in my growing up experience. Uh, I, I got shame from my family of origin, from my parents. I got it from teachers. I got it from my church. I got it from the area where I grew up in. And whether I knew it or not, all those messages that said you're not enough sunk into my soul. And so I was bound and determined that I was going to be enough because I'm just like you. I want to be loved and I want to belong. So I created a persona. I started watching and thinking and hustling and working hard to be this person that I believed would make me enough. The messages that I got kind of went like this. You know, you're not valuable and worthy of love and belonging, unless you're intellectually superior to everybody else. So, uh, smart is good, brilliant is better, most brilliant is best. You're only valuable if you're connected to the right people. So you better figure out who the right people are, and you better get yourself connected to them. Because those people, they're the winners. And if you're not with the winners, you're a loser. As I progressed in my life, I was told, you know, you're only valuable if you're professionally accomplished. I mean, it's great that you work at Google, but really someone who was valuable would have actually created Google. You're only valuable if you're always right. You're only valuable if you never need help. You're self-sufficient. If you don't know the answer, you figure it out. 
And you're certainly only valuable if you never show your vulnerabilities. So that's a lot of messages for someone to internalize. Man, I, I internalize them. I, I did well. And I created that persona that kind of goes like this. This will has how I will present myself to you. I will always be competent and capable. I will be in control. I will know what I'm doing. And I'll let you know. I'll never ask you for help. And on top of all of that, I'm going to be super cool. I don't know how that last one crept in, really. But it did. And it kind of came in with a vengeance. <laughs> uh, now, it's kind of a setup for me because a person like that can't exist because that's like a robot. I mean, that's not a real person. Um, about three years ago, this persona that I had worked so hard to maintain all my life, you know, and, and had really uh, buoyed up and had presented to the world, and I got some kudos for that. Some of those things worked well for me. I'm not going to lie about that. Uh, that person kind of crumbled. I had uh, several things sort of create a perfect storm in my life, and I, um, I kind of had a meltdown. No, I had a huge meltdown, let, let me be honest. And, and by a meltdown, this is what I, this is what I mean. Uh, I would get up in the morning and I would take my kids to school and I would come home and I would go back to bed. And between the time my kids were at school and the time they came home, I laid in bed and sometimes I just slept and sometimes I cried and I had no idea why that was happening. Um, my kids would come home, I'd get them settled, I'd go sit in the backyard and I'd just kind of collapse within myself. But then I knew my husband was coming home, and, you know, I had to keep up that image of being like the wife who had it together and, you know, was prepared, so I had to get in there and make some sort of dinner, and then he'd come through the door, and it would be all good. It was killing me, killing me. You would have never known it. I mean, you could have run into me at Pete's or at the supermarket. You could have seen me here, and you would have asked me how I was doing, and I would have said, I'm doing great. How are you? Because you don't have a meltdown in public. You don't really have a meltdown at all. But if you do, you only do it by yourself. It was such a prison for me. Uh, I did this for about a year. Talk about expending energy. I'm trying to manage, trying to control the narrative. And uh, then finally, I was like, I'm not going to survive if I keep this going. And so I... Uh, Started a journey a couple of years ago of really figuring out who, who am I really? I mean, what does it really mean for me to believe that I'm loved and, and worthy, that I'm valuable just because God tells me that? Not because of my accomplishment, not because of how I present myself, not because of any of that stuff. It's taken a lot of work, a lot of time and energy. I'm, I'm not at the end of that road by any stretch of the imagination. I've spent a lot of time with a therapist and in spiritual direction, just kind of trying to figure out how can I show up to the party and just be me. Um, the real me is like you, I think. I'm, uh, I have a lot of strengths and great things that I bring to the world, and then I have a ton of fragilities, places where I'm fearful and I don't feel capable and competent. The real me isn't a perfect Christian. The real me is uh, somebody who loves God. Gosh, I, I, I'm so grateful 
for what God has done for me, and I feel passionate about Jesus. And then sometimes I sit and I look at the scriptures, or I come and I worship, and I think, I don't know, is this even true? And the real me is, um, it's not, it's not a, you know, always a perfect wife. My husband, Dan, is amazing. I love him. Uh, I am devoted to him. He is so good to me and for me. And so I can be fully in emotionally with him, invested, available, vulnerable. And then I can turn on a dime and detach and put up a wall because I'm afraid of being hurt. All my kids, I'm passionate about those kids. They come with their own journey and their own set of challenges and joys. But every day I fail my kids. I mean, there has not yet been a day where I went to bed and went, I was the perfect mom today. All right. No. And I am definitely not always cool. Because, like, I love musicals, for example. And I, I, I don't know who thought of what was cool and what wasn't cool, okay? But where I grew up being in a musical was not cool. Definitely not. Uh, nothing related to drama or stuff like that. But I love musicals. I mean, I love them, you guys. Like, like, I know all the words to the major musicals. Like, I could sing Oklahoma for you right now, but I won't do that. I, I love those. I love Disney musicals. I mean, I am the person who happily and wholeheartedly will belt out at the top of my lungs, do you want to build a snowman? Right? I love it. I love that stuff. It's so cheesy. And I'm cheesy. I am. You know, that's fine. I mean, I'm so excited about next week. Uh, I signed up for Blitz. I don't even have a job. The Blitz team, were, they were so nice. They just said, go ahead and just sign up. Because I just wanted to come so that I could come in the auditorium and do the hand motions. <laughs> and I get to wear a cape. Oh, my God. That, I put my cape on last night. Woo! Oh, man, it was awesome. Uh, I think it's really most important that kids come to know Jesus and, and grow in their faith, but I'm really excited about the hand motions and the singing. Uh, that's the real me. And that's the me that's worthy of love and belonging. I could stop there. I could say, okay, well, now I know that. Now I know. I know my false narrative. I know my false self. This is the real me, but... Um, what I need to be able to do and what we need to be able to do, secondly, is we need to be willing to let go of that narrative. We've got to let it go. <laughs> and be who we really are. Uh, there's a great text in Luke 19 that I think can help us kind of get a feel for what that might look like to, to let it go. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Some of you will know that story. It's a, it's a story where... Um, Jesus meets a guy, and I think in this encounter we learn about what it might be to, to let go of that false self and really live out of being enough, because God is enough. Not because we're enough on our own, but because God is enough. Let me read it to you, Luke 19, beginning at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy, put in parentheses, hated by everyone. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was short and he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, 
He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, insert shame. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Insert belongs. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. It's a great story. Um, and it tells us a couple of things about what it might look like for us to, to let go. And, and the first one is this. We, we have to um, identify our shame. What's your shame trigger? What's the narrative you created around it to try and avoid it? And then risk being vulnerable. Now, I, I know that's scary. Vulnerability is scary. When I say vulnerability, what I mean is just show up and be seen. Just be who you are. Uh, And that can scare us because we're worried. We're worried someone won't accept us. We're worried we'll be made fun of. We're worried of the shame. But if we're going to be wholehearted, then we have to be willing to take that risk. This week when I was working on this message, I was really struggling with crafting it. That's not uncommon, but it just was particularly anxiety-producing for me. Uh, I couldn't get my hands around how I wanted it to go. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I have, a, I have some homies I talk to about that stuff. I talk to my husband about it. What do you think? I have some friends I talk to. But I knew the person that I probably needed to talk to about it was Brad. Because Brad had, had crafted the series. Brad's preached the series. And so I thought, you know, I'm just going to text Brad and see if we could chat on the phone. So I sent a text, and then I stopped breathing. Because I don't ask for help in my false narrative. But if I'm going to live wholeheartedly, then I'm going to ask for help. So we set up a time to talk, and, and I was nervous and anxious and fearful, and I got on the phone, and I don't think I made a lot of sense, really, which is very frustrating for a communicator. And, and Brad was great. I mean, he was super thoughtful and helpful and um, reassuring. And, and he did for me what I needed, which is he basically just voiced what God says to us all the time is, you're enough. It's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Uh, we hung up the phone. I had a little moment of shame, kind of tried to seep in because I thought, oh my gosh, he's hung up the phone and he's gone, loser, loser, loser. She needs help. And she's not even cool. Uh, I had to step out of that, you know, put my shame shield up and say, it doesn't matter because a wholehearted person asks for help if they need it. A wholehearted person says, I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. I take the risk. Uh, It's risky. It's best to practice it with people who are relatively safe for you. I wouldn't invite you to go to the Folsom City Council tomorrow and go, I just want to share all my brokenness with you. You know, that might not end well, but you probably have a trusted friend. Um, There's the counselors out there who are trained and willing and are amazing at stepping into those spaces with us. You can journal about it. There are opportunities we have to be able to 
perform that. But we, we can't do that unless we do what Zacchaeus did secondly, which is he kept his eyes on Jesus and, and listened to what Jesus said about him. I can't risk vulnerability if I don't believe that I'm worthy of love and belonging. That if I don't believe that God says it and so that's true, I can't risk vulnerability. Um, Zacchaeus got out of that tree right? He came down, and, and he risked the vulnerability, and he walked into a crowd who hated him. I mean, you want to talk about shame. They were murmuring. They were not murmuring. I'm sure it sounded like stereo in both his ears. A sinner, 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 sinner. Not worthy, not worthy, not worthy. He doesn't belong. He doesn't belong. He doesn't belong. And what he did, his eyes were on Jesus, and here's what Jesus says to him. Zacchaeus, I, I, I must be with you. I mean, I love how Jesus puts that. It's not like, well, shoot, okay, I guess I have to be with you because I'm God and I'm supposed to love you, you loser. Or, you know, actually I wasn't talking to you, Zacchaeus. I was talking to the other person in the tree. Now he says, I have to be with you. I have to be with you because you're worthy of love and belonging because you're mine. Jesus would have said that to anybody there that day and everybody but Zacchaeus was the only one who could hear it because he was open to risk and vulnerability. He was willing to take the chance so that he could be wholehearted. I mean, if we stay like the crowd and just are bathing ourselves in our own shame and feeling like we're not enough, where we're going to end up is like the crowd, pointing and blaming and judging. But if we open ourselves up to God and keep our eyes fixed on him, what he says is true about us. Um, we can begin that journey of uh, wholeheartedness. It is not easy. I, I, I would be lying to you if I said it was. It's scary. It's scary to take risks. It's scary to say, okay, well, this is me. I, this is the real me with all of my strengths and my places where I'm kind of fragile and vulnerable. Uh, but... I think it's worth the risk because Jesus says, I, I am so invested in you. I, I think you're so worthy of love and belonging, Zacchaeus, and everyone. I want to do the thing that's most intimate. I want to come into your home. And in Jewish culture, coming into the home meant eating together. The, the act of like bonding and friendship. Um, we can have that. We have it. Uh, but we can't receive it if we're mired in our shame, and we're living out of our false narrative. We practice together. This is the place we do it. In Romans 15, Paul says, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. So we can practice here with other people who are purposely trying to be wholehearted. We can say things like, I'm afraid, because when I called Brad, I was afraid. I was afraid that I wouldn't craft a good message. I was afraid that he might think I was lame. I was trying to manage my narrative as I was writing a message on wholeheartedness. Fear can stymie us, but God is greater than our fears. Shame can choke us, but God can release us. If we do this together, when we go out there, what people will experience is not the thing we do not want to be, which is the judgmental, shaming Christian. They will experience Jesus. And you cannot turn your back on that. It is just way too empowering. Perfect and bulletproof. Oh, man, they, they are super seductive. Um, 
they have lured me down their path many times. And I'm sure there will be other times in the future where I will, will want to go down that path and might go down that path. That way looks so good and promises us so much and delivers nothing. That's not God's way. God's way is wholehearted. God's way is showing up and being seen and knowing that in that space, God says to you, you're enough because I'm enough. You're worthy because I made you worthy. You belong because I invited you to the party. We don't need to be superheroes because we already have one. And his name is Jesus. Lakeside's on a a trajectory. We're trying to live wholeheartedly here. I'm so grateful to be able to be a part of that. Um, That's who I want to be. That's who we want to be as a church. I I hope and I pray that's who you want to be. Let's pray. God, we want to be wholehearted and we don't want to be wholehearted. We want to risk being seen, and we want to cover up. It's, it's a tension that we live with, but would you, God, speak those words like you spoke to Zacchaeus. You belong. You belong. I want you. Would you just flood that over our souls and our being? And Might we do that work and that process to figure out how we've tried to create something to make ourselves feel acceptable when all the while you've said, you're, you're good. You're good. Give us courage, God. Give us courage here at this church to model that for each other. When we're afraid, to say we're afraid. When we're sad, to be able to say we're sad. When we're amazed and joyful and grateful to say that and to be able to live in that space that is what makes us fully human. We're grateful, God. You've gone before us. You've set the stage. You've sent the invitation. May we accept it with courage and bravery. We pray it in your name. Amen.